We have noted that the fourth chapter of Colossians has really as its theme the Christian and his conduct. We spoke concerning a dedication to the truth about Christ and how that the chapter began with an exhortation to faithfulness. The Lord is exhorting us through Paul exhorting the Colossian church first of all and those others who would receive the letter but us in our day to be faithful in supplication verse number 2 continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving we are to be faithful in supplication we're also then to be faithful in society as we live in this world we interact with other people and so Paul speaks about walking in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Seeking to live before others the Christian life. And in connection with that, he talked about faithfulness in speech. Verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. But as we come to the seventh verse, we can see that the subject matter can be really summed up as an exemplification of faithfulness. From an exhortation to faithfulness, we now have faithfulness exemplified, shown in the lives of certain people. There are a series of individuals mentioned here who are noted by the Apostle for their faithfulness in service. I've heard it said that it's not a great thing to preach biographically because the tendency is to build men up when we should be exalting the Lord. I don't agree with that. Because the fact of the matter is that biography is given to us by the Lord to show us how certain men lived and from how they lived, how we ought to live and also how we ought not to live. There are stories in the Bible of great failure for example Samson and the Lord has recorded what he has recorded about Samson for our learning that we might understand from his mistakes not to make those same mistakes sometimes there will be someone and the Lord will set him forth as an example of how you should be and the Lord is really saying to us in setting forth this person as an exhibit of faithfulness, be like this man. This is how you should live. This is the kind of person that you ought to be. And of course, all of this is to be traced back to the grace of God in a man's life if he's faithful. We're not seeking to say men should be lifted up, that they should be exalted, they should be admired for what they were in themselves. No, we admire them for what they were in Christ. It's what the Savior did for them. And if there are those that are faithful, they're faithful because the Lord worked that faithfulness in them. It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So there's a series of individuals mentioned here. They are to be noted for their faithfulness in the service of Christ. Here's a portion that's a bit like a picture gallery. One commentator actually spoke about this section of Colossians as Paul's enclosed group 
photograph. You know what an enclosed group photograph is. You get a bunch of people together and you have this picture of them. Well, here Paul's enclosed group photograph is not a picture per se, but word pictures. Sometime you might have received a letter from some friend. And inside that letter there was a photograph, a group photo. And in that photo were some friends well known to both the sender of the letter and to you. And maybe you were in that photograph. And it's a photograph of 25 years ago and you're like, oh my goodness, is that how I looked then? What a change there's been since that photograph was taken. An enclosed group photograph. Now the Apostle Paul in words has done this. He's got this enclosed group photograph, if you like. He's got all these people and he's mentioned their names and he's given thumbnail sketches of these people who were known to the Colossians. Every one of them was known by the people of that church. There are ten of them in all. And Paul frequently shows by his writings... That the work of God is not a one-man effort. It's not a solo effort. It is a joint effort. It's a joint enterprise. Paul was very careful to teach this. For example, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And notice what Paul says there from verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. From verse 6. I have planted Apollos watered but God gave the increase he's giving an analogy here of a gardener one person plants the seed somebody else waters the seed but it is the Lord that causes the seed to grow and to germinate and to bring forth fruit he goes on so then neither is he that planteth anything neither he that watereth but God that giveth the increase now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. There's a unity there. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. You see here, Paul is talking about cooperation in the work of God. We are workers together, and we are workers together with God. Thinking about this, we're reminded of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to the disciples in John chapter 4. Please go over there. John chapter 4. The Lord says from verse number 6 of that chapter, verse 36, that's what I meant to say. John chapter 4 from verse 36. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. In other words, he's saying here, you're at the end of this process where you're gathering the fruit. You are reaping. But you're only the reaper because somebody else sowed. 
Somebody else worked. Somebody else toiled. And you're at the other end of this, getting, as it were, the benefit of this in the end. But it's not all about what you've done. It's about what everyone has done. Those who sowed, those who watered, those who now reap. Everybody, you see, has a part to play in the work of the Lord. Maybe there'll come a point where you talk to someone who's just about ready to be saved. They're a bit like a ripe apple about to fall off a tree and they just, the apple just falls into your hand. This person is at the end of this process and you're the reaper and you're the one that has the soul winner's joy. But what you don't realize is that there's been a lot of links in the chain along the way. There was a Sunday school teacher, there was a godly mother who taught this person the truth. There was someone in their place of work who witnessed to them. There was someone who gave them a gospel tract. There was a meeting where they heard the preaching of the Word. And all across their lives there has been the working of the Holy Spirit culminating in that point that they come to where you have the joy of leading them to the Lord. Paul recognized and acknowledged that there were others involved in the battle for souls besides himself. And it's really interesting to note, in the book of Acts, and you can do the math for yourself by when you go home, uh, reading through the book, there are at least 100 names, that's right, 100 names, of different individuals who were associated with Paul and his work. That's amazing. Think of all those who were involved in the service of God. Now you, for an example of some of this, go to Romans chapter 16. Right at the end of that book, the book of Romans chapter 16, it starts out in verse 1 with Phoebe. It goes on to speak in verse 3 of Priscilla and Aquila who were a couple. Verse 5 is Epinetus. Verse 6, Mary. Verse 7, Andronicus and Junia. Verse 8, Amplius. Verse 9, Urbane and Stachys. Verse 10, Apelles. And those of Aristobulus' household. Verse 11, Herodian. The household of Narcissus. Verse 12, Tryphena and Tryphosa. The beloved Persis. Verse 13, Rufus. And look at these other names from verse 14. Write down this chapter. There are some 16 different friends of Paul spoken about here. Illustrating this point. There is no one man ministry. The work of God is about cooperation. It's about a joint effort made with others and everybody doesn't have the same work to do everybody doesn't have the same job everybody doesn't occupy the pulpit but we all have something that we can do we can all be involved we all should be involved and we can all pray and we can all make efforts to get the gospel out now having said this I want us to examine each individual in this group photograph so to speak we're not going to be able to talk about all of them tonight. We'll take several messages uh, to accomplish this. But what I want to talk about tonight is one individual in particular whom we might call the messenger. The messenger 
I would say he was just a mailman for God. His name is Tychicus. Look at verse 7 and verse 8 of Colossians 4. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Now it has been observed that Paul didn't use a great amount of words in describing his associates. He didn't use a great volume of words, but what he spoke about them spoke volumes. He said a lot in a few words. The name Tychicus <coughs> literally means fortunate. But his name might well have been faithful. Because he's referred to in several portions of the New Testament. And from those portions we discover what kind of an individual he was. Let me just refer you to these. Acts chapter 20, first of all. Acts chapter 20. Let's look at verse number 4. Again, speaking of Paul, it says, And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timotheus, that's Timothy, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. So there he is, Tychicus. Now keep your finger there and turn over to the book of Ephesians. And look at Ephesians chapter 6. Consider verse 21. But that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. So there's Tychicus again, and he's mentioned as one who's faithful. He's a beloved brother, and he's a faithful minister in the Lord. Now then, go a little further to Second Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter 4, and verse 12. And... Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. And then finally, the next book, Titus, Titus chapter 3 and verse 12. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Now, these verses show us that this man, Tychicus, was a constant companion of the Apostle Paul. And that he was a loyal friend through thick and thin. Tychicus was a friend and brother. Paul refers to him as a brother. Loved by Paul and his colleagues in the work of God in the bonds of Christian love. He's a brother. A brother, not physically or biologically, but spiritually. A brother in the Lord. This is a term of relationship, isn't it? He's in the family. 
is in the family of God. Tychicus, Colossians 4, 7, is described as a beloved brother. The word beloved attached to brother is a term of fellowship. He's a brother, that's a term of relationship. He's a beloved brother, that's a term of fellowship. And we ought to love the brethren, and we furthermore ought to act so as to be loved by the brethren. You know, this is one of the marks of a true Christian, that we love the brethren. You just study First John, and notice what it has to say about love of the brethren. It's one of the evidences of true salvation. Tychicus was a friend and brother. But more than this, Tychicus was a faithful minister. Now let me just hasten to add that the word minister here, that's used in verse 7, does not refer to the pastorate. It does not refer to him as a gospel minister. But the word has to do with service. Remember how Jesus said in Mark's gospel, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It, it really means he came not to be served, but to serve. That's the, that's the idea here. He was a minister, not a preacher or a pastor or a public speaker. There's no indication of any preaching gift in Tychicus or any prominent position that he held in the church. But what he was, was a messenger of Paul, if you like, a mailman. He delivered messages. He was the one who would take the post and deliver it. He was the bearer of letters from the Apostle Paul. And actually, in my Bible, at the bottom of the page in Colossians 4, it says of this particular epistle, written from Rome to the Colossians by Tychicus and Onesimus. Tychicus was the bearer of letters, a faithful minister. Paul's focus here is on his reliability. Someone said the greatest ability you can have is dependability. And so it is. That you can be depended upon, you can be relied upon, you can be trusted. And Tychicus had to be such a man. He was sent to deliver letters to Ephesus, to Colossae, to the slave owner Philemon, and to Laodicea. He was the mailman, the message boy, if you like, for Paul. There are no great or outstanding achievements attributed to Tychicus. But he's just referred to as a faithful man who did what he did for the Lord. And folks, that is what is most commendable. It may be that you're called to do something really small in the eyes of men. It might not seem like a whole lot. Small bits of service for God. But remember, as the little hymn puts it, little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. I remember when June and I went to Scotland to a mission work. It was a start-up church. There was no Sunday school. There was no children's meeting. Unless we started it. So we did start it by the grace of God. 
The first two scholars were Rachel and Rebecca. They were soon joined by a little Roman Catholic boy from the neighborhood, little Sean. And one by one, children from that neighborhood began to come along. Until on a Wednesday night we had 25 children who came to hear the gospel. On cold winter nights, their mothers used to line up at the door outside and we told them no need to stand out in the cold, come in. Some of them would come in for the last 10 or 15 minutes of the meeting, which was great because that's when the lesson was being taught. So there they stood at the back by that roasting hot radiator, loving the heat, but hearing the gospel. Who knows what the Lord will yet do through that? Didn't seem like much at the time. Starting a Sunday school with two or three kids didn't seem like a whole lot. But little as much when God is in it. Just being here in this church to support the work is a great thing. You may not view it as a great thing. The world may not view it as a great thing, but it is a great thing. Little as much when God is in it. God puts a great store by faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You know what a steward is? He's someone who's put in charge of his master's stuff. He's in the house. He takes inventory of his master's goods. He looks after it. He cares for it. He does what he does with diligence. He's a steward. And what is required in a steward is that he be faithful. Am I dependable? Can I be counted upon? Over there in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21, the Lord Jesus said this. Speaking about a parable, his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You've been faithful in a few things. Think of examples of this in the Bible. Do you know that Elisha was the minister of Elijah? That is, he was his servant. And the Bible tells us that Elisha poured water on the hands of Elijah. You know what that was all about? He would pour out the water while Elijah Elijah washed his hands. He's pouring the water so that he can wash his hands. A very simple, menial task. But the Lord then made Elisha the prophet when Elijah was gone. Little as much when God is in it. Think about Joshua. Joshua was Moses' servant, Moses' minister. Then there came that point where Moses was dead and the Lord put Joshua into that position that Moses had occupied. Do not count any small task for God as being beneath you. Someone said there is greatness in the smallest things that are done for the Lord. Small things done for Him are only small in time, but they are great in eternity. Don't be afraid to be a mere message boy if it is for God. Don't be afraid to be a mailman for God. 
Colossians 3 verse 23 Again, we remind you, says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Tychicus, the messenger, was a friend and brother. He was a faithful minister. But notice also he was a fellow servant. A fellow servant. A servant of Paul, yes. But also a fellow servant with Paul of their master Christ. Most people would have thought, well, in the pecking order, Paul came first and then way down the totem pole was Tychicus. But they were fellow servants for Christ. In the New Testament Greek language, there are, in fact, eight different words that express the idea of service. I was shocked when I discovered that. Eight different words. That describe or express the idea of service. The first of those is oikites, which refers to a household servant. That's one aspect of service. And you think about a household servant, what he would do, all the various menial tasks, cleaning and dusting and looking after the place, keeping things tidy doing the laundry a household servant but then there's a second word diakonos it's a word from which we get the word deacon in the New Testament and what is a deacon? a deacon is a servant and this particular word in the Greek refers to a ministering servant once again we're not talking about preaching we're not talking about getting behind a pulpit and Ministering in that sense, but just doing service. There's a third word. Huperites. It's a word for subordinate servant. That's someone who comes under. Someone who's able to take orders. Someone who doesn't feel themselves above taking orders. And you'll never be one who leads if you do not learn to be led. No one will ever be a leader who has never first himself been an underling and been willing to be led and to be taught. There's a fourth word. It's the word therapon. And it is a word for the confidential servant. Someone that you can take into your confidence. Someone who would be a confidant. You'd be able to tell him something and it goes no further. Therapon. But then there's a fifth usage of the word servant in the Greek language and it has to do with the public servant. Liturgos is the word. The public servant. Then there's a seventh one. Latreo. That's the temple servant. That's someone who's involved in Dealing with holy things. Dealing with the various things in the temple that are considered to be sacred. And then there's another word. Seventhly. Economos. It's a word from which we would get in English the word economy. Economos. And that is a word for the responsible servant not 
irresponsible, but responsible. Someone who can be trusted in the handling of finances, for example. And then there's another word. And it is the most frequently used term in the New Testament. It's the Greek word doulos. The plural is douloi. It's the word for bond servant or slave. This is, as, as I say, the most frequently used term. And if you note here in the English, in verse 7 of Colossians 4, he is described as a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. He is referred to as a diakonos, a ministering servant, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. That's the word doulos, a bond servant or a slave. So here you have these two brought together, diakonos and doulos. Tychicus was a ministering servant, but he also took up the position of a slave. Now I hasten to add, he was not Paul's slave. He wasn't a slave of Paul. But you'll notice that he's described as a fellow servant or a fellow slave in the Lord. In other words, he and Paul were both slaves of Christ, if I could put it that way. Tychicus was a fellow slave in the Lord. Now we know that from the New Testament there is order and there is rank in God's church. Everybody can't be in leadership. Sometimes in a church you get that where everybody wants to be a leader. And they all want to be chiefs and nobody wants to be an Indian. In the work of God there's leadership and there's those who are led. I don't need to really establish this but one verse in particular does establish it. And it's the verse that's found in Hebrews chapter 13. Where it says in verse 17... Obey them that have the rule over you, that have the oversight, and submit yourselves. So you have here the principle, those that rule and those who are ruled. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So there are those who are placed in leadership, and there are those who are led. But having said that, there is still a great equality that we all share before God in Christ. You come to the cross, and it's not that the ministers and the missionaries are close to the cross, and then all the rest of the plebes are far away from the cross. No, 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 no. Every child of God stands on level ground at Calvary. We're all equally accepted. There's no pecking order When it comes to salvation. In fact when Peter talked about the grace of God in salvation. He referred to God's salvation. As being a faith. That was shared that was of the same kind. This is how it's expressed in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now Peter was an elder. 
Peter was a man of authority. But notice how he talks about salvation as being a like precious faith that all God's people share. That literally means, if you looked into the Greek language, a faith that is of the same kind. You don't have a different kind of faith than I have that makes you more acceptable or me more acceptable than you. No, it's a common faith. It is the same kind of faith that links us to the Lord Jesus Christ. The ground is dead level at Calvary. And so when Paul is writing about Tychicus, he's making this clear. The writer and the messenger were yoked together in the same work. Paul writes the letter. Tychicus is the mailman who delivers the letter. But one is not more important than the other. They're both serving the Lord in different capacities. Let us learn this, that in this sense there is no one-man ministry. You'll notice that when Paul spoke about himself in the ministry, it was as one who required the prayers of God's people. How often do we find him asking, exhorting the Lord's people, pray for us. You have a part in this ministry. He actually uses the term in, in, in Romans 15, striving together in your prayers to God for me. Working, striving together. There's an equality in that sense in our service. The minister may be the one that seems to be on the front line, but behind him there are those who are providing the power. Providing the impetus as they pray. I refer again to Spurgeon's reference to the people of his own church. When he was asked the question once by a visitor, what was the secret of his power in preaching? Why was it that people were getting saved all the time in the Metropolitan Tabernacle? He took them down to the bowels of his church. And he said, right here every Lord's Day, there's a couple of hundred people. While I'm preaching, they're praying. He said, this is the engine room of the church providing the power. It's really important that we understand and that we appreciate that everyone has a part to play in the work of God. No one is more important than anyone else. Remember how Paul talked about that when he described the body and said that the little members that we seem to think are feeble are necessary. You take the human body, one of the smallest parts of your body is your little toe. Over a month ago, I banged my little toe into a piece of furniture in our house. I almost went through the roof with the pain. I never got it checked out, but I think I may have cracked it. I may have fractured it because it still hurts. What, five, six weeks later, it still hurts. It's getting better, but it's reminding me that it's important. It's there. That little toe is really important. It helps to balance your gait when you're walking. If you were to have a couple of your outside toes removed, the little toe and the next one, then try to walk, I'm telling you, it would affect your balance tremendously. The little members are really important. 
Let's remember this. Sometimes it's said of a Christian worker, he's very good but nobody could work with him. That's not a good testimony. A man by the name of Dr. Sangster told a story of an organist. Our brother will appreciate this. An organist who was giving a recital in a village church where the organ was being pumped by hand. One of those old efforts. And of course, after each piece was played, there was loud applause, raucous applause. And the organist would then announce what he was going to play next. Behind the curtain, there was a simple man pumping the bellows that gave wind to that organ. And that man was becoming increasingly irate at the conceitedness of the organist taking all the praise. And finally, he could take it no longer. When the organist announced his next rendition in the same conceited manner, and then he sat down at the keyboard to play, there was no sound from the organ. Silence. You know why? The man behind the curtain at the pump had stopped working. And he poked his head out from behind the curtain and he shouted at the organist, Let's have a little bit of we in it instead of me all the time. Let's have a little bit of we and not me. That's just an illustration, but it's a good one. The work of God is not a solitary effort. If I ever think that the work depends on me and nobody else has a part to play, I'm already finished. We are to be serving together. Tychicus is an example of this. He was a mere mailman for God. But what he did, he did faithfully. And the Apostle Paul acknowledged it. More importantly, the Holy Spirit acknowledged it because of the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write about Tychicus in this chapter. What did he say? Tychicus is a beloved brother, he's a faithful minister, and he's a fellow servant in the Lord. May the Lord teach us lessons in service. May he make us willing servants of his, that glory might be brought to his name. Amen.